What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Ride Boundless Podcast. I just want to shoot out a thank you to all the listeners, followers, and subscribers. If it's your first time, welcome. Make sure to hit that subscribe button. On this episode, we speak to a dear good friend of ours, a fellow rider. Uh, he rides a BMW. He's ridden with us many times. He is now a Los Angeles-based lifestyle music and portrait photographer, or at least has been for a while now in L.A., um, we speak about his journey in life. Um, it gets a little emotional and deep, but um, it, it was amazing that it that happened and it took place on the Right Boundless podcast. Let me bring to you our good friend, Linwood Robinson. <laughs> What what's going on with your motorcycle? You just just yeah. got it back. It was uh, in for recall. They're talking about the gearbox and everything. So just now, two minutes ago, popped it into reverse to show off and go. Hey, look at this! Look this at my is reverse. Great. And it just stopped. I couldn't get into first gear, so I had to call Jaime. Help, Jaime! And uh, and and Jaime has that that mechanic luck, Mister Mechanic. So I, so the, you picked it up from the dealership. This Which afternoon. one, Burbank? Burbank, this Burbank. afternoon. And, and they just did a gear service? Yeah, so two days, so it's been in the shop for three days, and they called me up, and they said, all right, it's ready to roll. Holy you shit, know? that's that's not good. Yeah, so this is the first time ever. So let's just say you um, you drop off your bike, was working perfectly. Yes. There was a recall, and now it doesn't work. And now it doesn't work. And nice. there's, there's proof, because we were all riding it's two, perfect. three weeks ago. Yes. And it was fine, and now that you picked, yeah. Well, yeah, we got so, that on the podcast. And now you can't get into first gear, so we'll see. Well, now it is in first gear. Let's see if you can get out to second. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. How, how are things going, Linwin? Man, things are good. I can't complain too much. Uh, how are you dealing with all this mess? Just hanging out with the kids. The kids are doing school. My son's in the 11th grade trying to figure out what's going to happen for next year. How How, how is that affecting? I mean, I, I know the, the, the physical school year stopped. Uh, kids are not going to school. But how, how is the grading? Is there a pass fail? Is it still ABC, whatever? Um, I, I'm, I'm interested because, you know, I have a small one and I'm kind of wondering how people are dealing with this current situation. Well, I have to say my son goes to a private French school and uh, they have everything pretty dialed in when it comes to online learning. So that's that's been pretty good. But again, he'll start class on a Monday from 8, 8.30 till about noon has a bunch of uh, uh, tests, well, not really tests, but uh, a lot of reading to do. Homework. Tons of homework. You know, being in the 11th grade, you're kind of getting a, a buy-in, more or less, because he doesn't have to do the SAT right now. So it's kind of freaky, because for next year, we don't know what's going to happen. Yeah. And then my other son's in the sixth grade, and he's loving it, because he's like, only have class for two hours. This is great, you know? So. Absolutely. No, no, I, I see the benefit for the kids. Yeah. But, I, you know, for the adults, it's more difficult. I was reading a post that it says, uh, it was like to the parents, you see now it wasn't the teacher's fault. It's your kid's fault. Not, ah. Now they're dealing with the kids. But, yeah. um, but I, I, do you think it's going to stay like this for a I, while? Or do you think they did this intentionally to kind of implement, you know, schools, online schools? I think it would be a good thing. There's certain, certain kids work better. I think at home, like my son at, at the beginning of the school year, he was having issues with new kids and, trying to trying to fit in trying to do all that stuff yeah. and now that he's doing his stuff at home he seems more focused that's interesting yeah 
So, I mean, you can still see his teacher online, see see the other kids in class, sort of like a uh, Zoom, right? Right. But it's easy. You don't have to really engage with anybody else. You're going to go in. What's the assignment? He gets in, does it, and it's he's loving it so far. I mean, I've never, I've never been exposed to um, homeschooling because we don't do this in Spain. Everybody has to go to school. Mm. Homeschooling doesn't doesn't exist there. Uh, but my wife is always telling me that people that get homeschool, you know, they end up getting really good grades when they go to a regular school. Getting better grades, you say? Yeah, but because they don't they don't have distractions. It's just their parents teaching them everything that is needed, and then just you know they have a you know, more complete education, I guess, or something. I don't know. I mean, I might be making it up. Well, yeah. as, lo- as long as the, they're not coming to me for math, because yeah, they definitely not <laughs> yeah, that, that does happen. I'm, I, I, I gotta say, I'm more of, um, I, I like to sit in a classroom. I like to ask questions. I like to like physically, Hey, hold on, stop. I don't understand. Explain. Right. Like, I, I really love that aspect of, of, of the educational system. Whereas, you know, online, I know several people that could just sit down watch you know youtube videos and how to market or how to start a business and they succeed but i'm I'm not i'm not good that way i I love i love being able to sit down and just watch a video i'm I'm really auditory that way you know when it comes to learning watching videos yeah watch watching videos or if i have a question like for instance if there's a problem with the bike i can come out and say how do you do this show me ah got it and it just sits there for me but if i'm sitting here looking at a a book I'll read through it and I'm kind of like, I'm not really getting it. Yeah. You know, one, I I guess it depends. So that's one of the issues. I guess it depends how good the video is. Cause I, I just started getting into master classes Mm -hmm. and I'll be honest right now. I'd probably say 40% I'm watching them. 60% I'm listening to them. You know, when when, when I go, you know, on a hike or a walk or in the car, it's much easier, but little by little it it is hooking me and influencing me to watch more videos. But again, it's still, difficult on my experience it has to be the right teacher though i mean everything i know about photography it's been learned through online Mm -hmm. really yeah i mean there's nothing i've never gone to a class it's all been most of it just uh flern i don't know if you know the channel with rnas um but most of it through it through that and then some some other online courses that i've been taking I mean, there's little things I can look up and, and, you know, obviously I can go to any computer, go to YouTube, pick something up and, and learn something quick. But like when mm. it's full courses, I, I, I'm not that hooked on it. Yeah. yeah. But that that's just me. How, how are the kids dealing with it emotionally, uh, being home and not being able? They need that connection. You know, they want to be with their friends. Like my, my oldest son is just going crazy because he wants his friends to come out. He wants to be able to go for a run or just hang out. And so everything he's been doing has been, hey, let me play video game or whatever. And he sees his buddy online or whatever. But I think they definitely need to have that connection with people, especially yeah, during those physical. ages. Physical, being able to just hang out. And they're miss- I think they're really missing that. Yeah. You know? All the, the contact sports, the contact playing. Yeah, he the, plays basketball. So you're sitting there going, okay, well, I don't want to do anything. Yeah, it's cool for two weeks, but after that, it's like, come on. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And then I have to bring up your, your situation, your, your situation between your, your, your new wife and your ex-wife and the kids is, is unheard of for me. Can, can, can we break that down? Cause so um, I, was, I was married for 17 years. Wonderful, wonderful lady. We're still best of friends. Um, a few years ago, we bought a second house, which is two doors, second house, which is two doors down. We used it for an Airbnb. Yeah. So when we decided to split apart, I didn't want to like move somewhere else. So I, I took over the house two doors down. 
So now I have a girlfriend. And you know, so we're like ex-wife here, girlfriend here, but we're still the best of friends, you know? And, and I think, your girlfriend has no problem with that. You know, at first, like any anybody, you know, girlfriend, think of it this way. If it was being a guy, if your ex-wife was next door oh. and she started dating somebody else, you know, there's a lot of pressure with that. You, yeah. and, and how do you go, to, can we make this happen? This is weird. Why is it, you know, why are you guys hanging out? Like today, it was great. My girlfriend and I were over at my ex's house um, hanging out in the swimming pool. Yeah. You know, so it's That's that kind so of weird. thing. Could you imagine? But it, it gets worse though. So you you tell me you yeah, talk, yeah yeah. I want to talk about weird. So uh, last year, my oldest son, who is twenty seven, got married, and I had a son when I was twenty two years old. So now we had my baby mama, right? My girlfriend, my ex wife, all at the Fuck. wedding, all the in laws, all the family. But it was the strange. It sounds like a movie, but it's yeah. the strangest. But baggage. Nicest, Starring Linwood Robinson as the man. The man. But um, what I find is that for me as a as a kid, my parents divorced. When they divorced, they hated each other. Yeah, most most people do. That's why they divorced. They didn't want to. They didn't want to hang out with each other. They didn't want to say anything. It was just banging heads together. And I said, if I ever was in a situation where um, I did get divorced, I need to remember that it's all about the kids. No yeah. matter if mom and dad are hating each other, you have to be there for the kids. So we've always had that that kind of thing, you know. So uh, that's amazing. I it's, mean, it's I am the luckiest. Courts killing themselves. I, I'm blessed, brother. I'm blessed. Very. My parents decided to play a, a mind game with us, especially with me, because until the moment I left uh, Spain, they hadn't seen each other in about like I don't know since they were divorced, sixteen years, something like that. Now I go to the, I come to the U.S. and when I go back, now they're having dinner together for Christmas. Oh wow! And I'm like, like my head is exploding. I don't know how to act. You create two people, two different people, depending on who you are with, and right. then they're both together in the same room, and you're like, holy shit, what am I doing so, now? It's yeah, crazy. You don't yeah. know how to act. Yeah, yeah, that's great. But I, again, I'm I'm lucky, man, because a lot of people don't have that. Well, it, it, it's it's luck, but a lot of it's also. I mean, you have a balance there and you have communication and you're, I'm, I'm sure you don't let your ego come over and be like, you can't do this or I'm moving to another place. Like no. you're very chill. So you, you make it happen. Yeah. But you know, it, it, it takes a while to learn that, you know, the communication thing is something that you have to work on. Right. You know, even within the relationship, I think part of the relationship of, of any relationship that doesn't work is because you stop communicating somewhere. But now I think um, my ex and I communicate more now than we did when we we're together. You know, interesting. Which, which is which is good. You know, you learn. Yeah, I, I, I think relationships is is you know two three things, which is one communication, two trust. You obviously got to have trust, and three bonding. You got to do things that bond the relationship so it lasts more. You know, go hiking, go work out. You know, but there's some people. Like right now with this whole COVID-19, there's people that, you know, the husband works 40 hours, the wife works 40 hours. They don't even know who they are. They've been right. married for 10 years and now they're stuck at home and, and there's real big problems going on. People are losing their minds. Domestic violence is up. You know? Right. So I think bonding, communication and trust is, is something you have to work on and perfect over time. 
Right. And you got to you got to work on your flaws. I mean, I'm a very flawed, scarred kind of keep, you know, things to my chest kind of thing, you know, yeah. I like to put the cards out a, a whole lot. But um, that's something you start learning and you're trying to go, oh, let me open up. Can I trust this person with this situation that I'm going through or yeah. dealing with? Because I get some, sometimes cerebral, you know, I get in and I go, oh, let me think about this half the day. And somebody's asking me something and I'm like, I can't talk now. I got to figure this out. You know. Yeah. But um, yeah, you want to try to be as truthful as possible too. And sometimes coming out and saying exactly how you feel, like sometimes a girl will go, hey, do you want to go for a running? Uh, no. But whereas before I would, I would go, yeah, let's do something. If you don't, you know, especially if you don't really want to go. Right. You know, well, so I, now I, being able to, to, to be honest and say, you know, I really don't feel like doing it and, and being okay with that. Because if she decides she didn't want to, you know, ride motorcycles with me, you know, I'd be fine with it. So I don't know. You gotta you gotta work on that. Find another one, and that's it. Right? <laughs> yeah, find another one. Yeah. No, I, anybody that knows me, I say this a lot. The the power of no, you know, people respect a no more than a yes. We're always saying people ask for a favor. People ask for you know help. Help me move. Nobody wants to help anybody move. Right. But some people say yes, and it becomes just this shitty situation. You know, their day starts off shitty. They're you know morning shitty their afternoon shitty their evening shitty then you even get into like fighting and it's like you really need to if you don't want to do something especially in a relationship you really need to communicate and say no thank you yeah i'm not in it i've, I've been in a relationship where i know she doesn't want to do anything but i'll ask her do you want to do this and she'll look at me and she doesn't say no and she'll be like well maybe maybe in like two hours and I know in two hours, we're not going to go over for the ride around the block, you right. know, but I'm still going to sit down and wait and see, maybe I'm obviously going to wait around to do the, I told you, you weren't going to ride in two hours. Right. And she's just doing that to, you know, just agree with me or be nice or whatever the case is. Yeah. Like my father, he's, he's one of these guys. He's, if he doesn't want to do something and just like, no, doesn't interest me. And that is the most honest thing you can hear. It hurts sometimes. You're like, oh. right. But I would rather have that than somebody go, yeah, uh, and then later on go, that sucked. That was the worst thing ever. Worst decision. Yeah, but I don't know. Trying to, trying to be more open with that. Which is how flaking starts, I think. Absolutely. Yeah. Yes, exactly. and, and in LA, there's a lot of that. So. It's the number one cause of flaking in Los Angeles. Yeah. And, and around the world, period. Or, or, or let me check my schedule and see what's going on. Yeah. Instead of just going, or, or people who make up yes about why they don't want to go. Right. It's like, I... You don't need to tell me why you don't want to go. Just say you don't want to go. We're That's cool. It. I'll keep Simple. it moving. Yeah, I, I call them the yeah, yeah, yeah people. You know, hey, want to do this? Yeah, 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 yeah. When, when, uh, what time? Let me see. Uh, yeah, I should be able to do it. Don't worry, I'll be able to do it. And then they, they flake. I had a, I have a good friend of mine. Well, old good friend of mine. I guess he wasn't that good of a friend. He's a good person, but he was the most flakiest person in the world. And that's why we couldn't have a friendship. He was a, a stylist. A, you know, he cut women's hair. Right. And he's fucking good. Like he's one day he came over my place. He was smoking. He got in an accident. He ran off from the accident because he didn't have insurance. He was drinking. He showed up to my house. I was like, what are you doing, man? Smoked some weed, was messed up. And then a friend of mine came over with her, with his girlfriend. And, and he's like, I cut your hair. And this guy was just in the worst condition ever cutting hair, but he's so good. He did an amazing job. Right. So women, chase him follow him call him blow him up his phone social media and he says yeah yeah tomorrow four o'clock no problem here and they'll text him in the morning yeah 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 i'll see you i'm on my way 
you know, three o'clock, three thirty, he's responding. Even two minutes, you know, of the time. Right. Yes, no problem. I'm I'm almost there. Right. Four o'clock, shuts off his phone, disappears, and these people are paying him one hundred and fifty bucks, two hundred dollars, like. This happened all the time. I mean, he, that he said he can't even keep a fucking job because of it. Yeah, but um, but the flakiest person I've ever met. Yeah, see, I've got this time thing where if I say, "Hey, look, I'm going to be somewhere at six o'clock," I'm usually there twenty two six. I'm always early. I'm like never ever late. It's one of those things where you know it's my parents kind of go, "Dude, get there on time." It's disrespectful. Whatever. Now, if somebody sees that I'm five minutes late, it's because something seriously happened. You know. It's like there's there's a quality to it, being on time, respecting your time, respecting my time, and if you can do that, your life is fabulous. You, you did you see the Irishman? Yes. Yeah. Um, you're late. You know when the guy shows up late. Well, yeah. the guy from Miami. Right, 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 right. Because I'm not late. Traffic. He goes at me. It says something. He's like, I'm not trying to say anything. No, it says something. Yeah. You're it does. late. Fifteen minutes. Yeah. Twelve minutes. No, it says something. Right. It def- definitely does. I've noticed, I've noticed also uh, talking about time and people being late. I've noticed most Latinos and Hispanics and foreigners that come into the United States are late to everything. They're late to work. They're late. It's a tradition. I mean, it, it is, it, I, I definitely try and break it uh, because I try and break every like a stereotype from a Spanish person. Um, but it is, it is in our culture to be at least, actually, if you have a party, you have to be late. If you have a party, mm-hmm. And you don't show up 15 minutes late at least. Mm-hmm. You're being, you know, disrespectful because maybe they're not really, really ready, ready. yet to have you, you there. Ready, up too early, whatever the case is. Oh. So yeah. at least if there's a party that starts at 6, you have to be there at 6.15 as, as early as, you know. That's the, that's the minimum you can be there. Oh, I, I stress out about being late. Like, yeah. it just freaks me out. Like, if I'm going to the airport. I'm, I'm at that point. I'm I understand. Two hours early. I'm chilling. I'm in the back of an Uber. Yeah. Or whatever. And then I get to the airport and I can do whatever I want. But when you start pushing it, you know, you go, oh, well, I've got an hour. I got 15 more minutes. It's, it just stresses me out. Yeah. My, my issue is I take on too many projects at once. Mm-hmm. And, 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 you know, my scheduling is not exact. But other than that, I'm always on time. I'm always, you know, where I got to be. Right. And I lose my mind because, like I said, a lot of, I, I deal with a lot of foreigners. And it's not just the Hispanics and the Latinos. It's, right. you know, Egyptians are mean. I, I've seen Italians. Please, you know they don't even they don't show up to a funeral on time. Right, and it's it's uh, it stresses me out. It really stresses me out. Even when I put money on a meter, you know, oh. like for the car, dude, I got three fucking watches. Siri, please remind me in forty five minutes. Put another quarter. Whatever the case is, because I know that parking info. Well, in L A, the parking enforcement's so fucking bad. Oh, oh, they get you. I went to a friend of mine's a little gathering he had about two months ago. And he lives just off of Melrose. Oh, shit. And I park, and they've got a sign that's got 20 different things on it. I'm hanging out for about 20 minutes, and I go, oh, shoot. My buddy's like, did you park in front of the house? He goes, yeah, move it to the other side. Run. I got to the I got to my car, $75 ticket, yeah. because it hits 6 p.m., and you need to have a little fire or something. I'm like, $75? I'm like, I'm drinking a lot over here tonight. <laughs> yeah, I, I had an office on Sunset Boulevard, and- and and that was the battle, you know. Every time I had you know guests come over, you could only put an hour, right? And and meetings would be longer than an hour, and it was unbelievable how many tickets they they give out. Like we we couldn't get you know even five minutes. You mm-hmm. miss it by five minutes, parking ticket. Or when they what is it three o'clock? 
Or sometimes they can tow your car or whatever. Depending you know, on the city. On, uh, San Francisco's fucking crazy. You said five signs or ten signs? San Francisco's got like 30 signs on a street. And there are all these hours that you can't park there. And it's like, noticed, yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. And San Francisco clears you out. What they'll do is, they'll, you know, they'll be, you know, the Monday, Wednesday, Thursday, and then watch out for Tuesdays and Fridays, right. and then between 12 and 3, and then PMs, and this, that. When it hits, I've seen them, I've seen 10 tow trucks come in and take 10 cars. And they make a killing when you go to get your vehicle back. 350 bucks. Actually, as a matter of fact, the Sunset one, I had a buddy of mine, he visited, he was from Argentina. He came over, rented a car. I told him, hey, come by the spot. Um... We went to uh, Cabo Cantina. This is back in the days, which it's still there. And um, we're, we had a few drinks. We're done. We're leaving. We have a quick smoke. Walk down the hill. We were on uh, Switzer. Okay. And when we get to the bottom, there's a tow truck towing a car across from from our car, from his car. Right. And I tell the tow truck guy, I go, hey, man, don't tow my car. Don't tow my car. And the guy is like, too late. I'm like, just kidding. You know, like, it's not my car. And when we get when we look behind the tow truck, right, it was his car was already gone. They had towed it. Now I'm telling this guy like, "Oh, bro, where do you guys tow cars? Because <laughs> they towed ours. They're, they're fucking evil. It's, yeah, it's yeah. pretty bad. It's, it, it's the biggest scam ever. It is the biggest scam. I wonder how that. I wonder what how that happened. Say it. Say oh, it. Tom. I want to no, hear. I, <laughs> yeah, please. I really want to know how the fuck that happened. Like, where, where, where do they have the right to just ticket any car that's parked, to tow any car? What's the difference from that and stealing? And then they sit there and you know they they, they mark you, put a little chalk mark on your car or whatever. And half the time they do that shit right here on my street. Yeah, randomly. I'm surprised my bike's still out there. Oh wait a minute, you because you live over here. Do you ever have that issue where um, they do the red flag warnings? No, that's I, I used to live on Woodrow Wilson. That's the next one up. Right on Woodrow Wilson, they'll do the red flag warning. They'll you can't even your stuff. You, you can't even park your fucking car in front of your own house. They'll yep. they'll red uh, so red flag warning or whatever it's called is basically they think that the mountains are too dry and the leaves are too dry, so there's a fire endangerment. And because the streets are so small through the hills, the app, the fire trucks need to like go and inspect. Mm-hmm. But it's not one day. You know they'll do a red flag warning. You know till. Um, for a month in summer. Till, uh, no, till, till we say it's off. And you have to subscribe to the tax. Yep. And you get it. And, and you're just waiting. And, and you have nowhere to park now. Now you have to park. I, I was one time I had to take an Uber each time or just fucking hike it. Yeah. It's crazy. Yeah, it's very interesting. What bikes are you riding right now? You came in the BMW and the gearbox got fucked up. But which BMW is that? It is the BMW Bagger 2018. Love it. It's a beautiful beautiful bike. So comfortable. Somebody described it the Cadillac of bikes. Somebody described it a Harley mixed with a BMW. How do you describe it? It's the R1600. Yeah, R1600. It's like a limousine, man. Yeah, a limousine. It's just smooth. Fast. I went to... uh, Mexico with some friends of ours, uh, probably last year, about six, six, seven months ago. What part of Mexico? We went to, um, what is it? San Felipe mm-hmm. and Ensenada. Beautiful. Man, there was a spot where you can actually open up. You don't see anybody around mountains left to right, right of you. I opened it up to one thirty, and it was still had room to go. And it freaked me out. That's how fast it was and smooth. That's a beautiful bike. What are some of the features on that bike? I haven't played with it. Do do 
Like our our keys, our twelve fifties, and your key is the same, right? But our middle button doesn't do anything. Yours locks the bags, right? Yeah, it locks it locks the bags. Our, ours is and just then, for show. And then you can put you put it close to the tank, and the tank thing opens up. We got you. that. Yeah, okay. We got which that, is, which is great. And then of course so you have auto the GPS, lock. auto lock, reverse, full LCD screen, full color. LCD, beautiful. Re- yeah. For reverse, that was cool. I was yeah. I was excited about that. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, the first time I rode, I was in San Francisco. I really needed that reverse, boy, because, you know, the bike's Sam. 800 pounds. You throw some stuff in there, and you have hills like this. Yeah. It uh, comes in handy. Yeah, I bet. I, I've, I've never ridden a bike with a, with a reverse. Have you? No. I'm, no? No, I don't think so. Never tried it out. I mean, I mean, worse comes to worse. I have to get off the bike, and I got to move it, you know, manually. But yeah. I could imagine it's a but great you, feature. But you know those hills in San Francisco. Oh, San- so you tilt it to the yeah. side, you're like... You're screwed. I used to live on Monterey Street in the back of San Francisco. I, I know it, it was one of my favorite cities to ride a motorcycle in. I really enjoyed it. Once you master, what did you like about it though? Everything. I, I liked the sound of the Harley pipes through the city. I liked all the tunnels. I liked the I liked the hills. You know, I got used to stopping at a red light on a hill, just you know, ninety degree angle. Like, oh, what am I doing? Um, so do you have that little? Um, so on the my, hill break, yeah, the hill yeah, break, the, yeah, the hill break's amazing. Love it. I got it. It's funny because when I bought the street glide, I picked out one that had the option, but right. I didn't know of the option, and it was like nine hundred dollars more. So it was that and some traction control, which they didn't tell me was a traction control. I was like, why is this one nine seventy five more than this one? They're like, no, it has a it has an extra brake feature, right. and that's all they told me. I get the BMW and it's got traction control. It's got the ABS. It's got everything. And then it's got the hill stop. And Jaime told me about the hill stop. And I was like, this shit's fucking amazing. Yeah. And then I found that I could have had it for, for the Harley. But unfortunately, Bartels didn't explain that that well to me. So does your bike, if you, if you uh, grab the front brake, the back brake works also? Yes. That, okay. Yes. Yeah, it's co- it's yeah. combined. It's combined and it, it adjusts as to where the, the braking needs to go to if you grab the front, the front yeah. brake. It's perfect. Wow, and that was 2018. Yeah. Did the 1200 2018 have that? I don't think so. No. Maybe. No, I don't think so. Yeah. Before and then, then, oh, before that, I had the uh, Harley V Rod. I was going to ask. Which was which was good. Is it 2009? I, I custom it all out. Night roll, rod or uh, uh, the night rod? Night rod special. Yeah. So nice. did all the rolling sand stuff on there, and then yeah. scratch. Do you know Scratch? He's a he's a painter. He does all kinds of stuff for Bell helmets and all this stuff. Amazing. No, so where's he, he out of? He's out of. Uh, he's out of L.A. He w- used to be in Burbank. He's downtown Scratch. Los Angeles, and now he's uh, moving. To, he's, I think he's moving to Texas in the summertime. Oh, that's interesting. But he did, have to hook him he up. Did my whole bike. He's ridiculous. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. He's he's amazing. And and then for the listeners, um, who are you? Where are you from? And what do you do now that we're this deep into? Oh, the this deep. Okay, my name is Linwood Robinson. I'm a sports music and lifestyle photographer originally from canada live here in los angeles california and uh yeah my journey is interesting let's dive into that well uh, you want to start off in canada or how long you were there for yeah well let's start off in canada so um i'm 50 years old so i know like doesn't crack too too much you know trying to keep it black or money Uh, money don't crack (laughs) money don't crack either (laughs) Yeah, um, originally from Canada. I used to be a 400-meter athlete, so I ran two and four in Canada. Um, how did I get into that? Um, as a kid, like any, any other, and like anybody else, you kind of you want to be an Olympian. You want to sit here and be a 100 and 200 guy like Carl Lewis or Ben Johnson. And I realized at 10, 12 years old that I was pretty fast, so competed everywhere and ended up being 
And when you say everywhere, where we're like, so we're talking, so you know, you first you start off high school, then right. you do private clubs, and then you end up, you know, getting good enough to travel around Canada, the U.S., um, New York, That's uh, exciting, Pocatello, uh, Idaho, all these little little spots. So I had the opportunity to travel like everywhere. So you go across Canada, Toronto, Vancouver, Edmonton. There's a whole bunch of indoor because it's cold and it's winter. 90% of the time you have an outdoor season and an indoor season. Right. So doing all these big competitions, you start getting better, faster, stronger. And I had the opportunity to, to go to Tennessee where my grandfather is originally from and go train out there. So I was probably about maybe 12, 13 years old. When I was uh, 10 or 12 years old, my parents divorced. Right. And there was a very hard time where my dad did not like my mom. My mom didn't like my dad and things kind of fell apart. So you try to find this thing to go, what will make me happy? Right. What's going to fulfill you? What's going to fulfill me? I had a younger brother at the time. He was three years younger than I was. Big age gap. Big, yeah, big age gap. And it was like 1979. And so the only thing that, that, made me happier where I can find a piece of myself was running. So my dad, you know, never really saw me run. My mom wasn't interested in seeing me run, but my coaches and the friends that I met on the track, that's what I wanted. And that's what I needed because I needed to find something that just made me happy. Yeah. You know? And I think the reason why I became a faster runner, which, which is weird to say, but my mom got to a point in her life where she, because she was divorced and not knowing where she wanted to be, she started drinking a lot and smoking a lot. So when I was a kid, she used to go, hey, it could be 11 o'clock at night. I'm young. I'm 10, 11 years old. Well, actually 11, 12 years old. And she'll say, hey, run to the store and get me cigarettes. It's like 11 o'clock at night. It's a mile away. So I start doing this. And right. it became three, four times a week. I'm doing this. Meanwhile. Were you timing yourself at any point? Or it was an errand you were doing it's, it? It's an, it's an errand, but then you start going, oh, shoot, it's, it's winter time now. And I want to get there and get back. How, how far? Just to it's, get just, an idea. it's a mile. It's a mile. But, you know. So a mile there, a mile back. A mile there, a mile it's back. Two miles. You know, she wrote a note and said, hey, go do this. So I kept doing that. And that weird little thing in me says, hey, man, I'm getting faster. I'm doing this. So now I start to become who Linwood is. It's like you get a little arrogant. You go, hey, man, I can beat anybody. Right. right? You go, you start building up this confidence. But most of it was because you wanted to get away from being at home. Mm-hmm. Right. So within that, I found dance, which was you know, my mom. I, how, how how was that transition that, that you started running? You were becoming really good runner, and then you found dance. And at what age? Um, I started dance around kind of around the same, kind of around the same age because you know you start seeing breaking and Beat Street and all these things, and yeah. I'm like, you know what? Oh, this is dope. So I start practicing how to be a b boy, you know. And I found that, and I'm going, hey, I'm good at this. So now. You go, here's running season, here's track season, here's dance season. Oh, well, you know what? Let me see what I can do. So yeah, at those, in those years, you're talking Michael Jackson, all that. I start 
learning to imitate, learning to perform. And so as that became something that I can get in and out of and get me that attention that I was, I was hungry for the friendship that I was, I was, I was needing. That was where my life kind of life and journey began. You know, it's like anything I can do to get away from this craziness that's going on at home. I'll do it. Anything to keep your mind busy, anything active, to keep my mind busy. and anything to stay out of home. So right. was, was your father around in that area or because you talked so, about your mom, but. Well, my, um, so my stepfather, um, we had the same. Um, so my younger brother had the same mother, but different father. Right. So he was around, but I got to see him every two weeks, you know, every other week on the weekends. And he was one of these, he was an amazing guy, you know, he, I mean, he's pretty tough, but he's an amazing, amazing guy. He was a welder. He had one of the biggest um, trade schools in Canada. So he, in Edmonton, Canada is kind of where um, the oil fields are. So okay. you have people from all around the world coming here to work on the oil fields. And he had one of the biggest trade schools there to teach people how to do it, how to write these exams to get into this. And so he was kind of a big shot back in those days and still is to this day. But um, yeah, he was around, but he was really one of those, hey, I'm working 90 hour weeks. You're going to come in, you're going to do your homework and pretty. Don't bother me. Yeah. Don't bother me. He was really tough. And then you go, well, how do I go from being with my mom who's lax but isn't really paying attention to me to go to hanging with my dad and being really a soldier hardcore, and being a soldier? I'm getting messed up here. So that's two complete opposites. And this is something you realize when you're 11 or 12. Yeah, that, you know, I, the only thing I knew and, and, and you know, through therapy and kind of becoming an older, older person, you kind of figure out what I was really wanting or needing right you know so what happens now is is 19 i want to say 86 is where um the world junior national championships are in sudbury ontario canada and i'm probably now 15 i guess there's some trials we go to sudbury and you usually usually get there about three or four days before the race and hang out So I get there and you got people from all around the world coming to this uh, championships. I hear that there's a B-boy competition in this town. Right. And I'm like, I'm there. Well, let me, let me go and see if I can get in on this. So I get in, I get over there and we're talking little towns. It's kind of like being in Kansas or something. Sudbury would be. And I get in this competition. I make 500 bucks. So, When I'm supposed to be training with everybody else, I'm going to get that paper. Right. Right. <laughs> you, you found a way to make I, money. I found a way. So get this. I win this, win this competition, make $500 to get this little newspaper and little interviews and all that. I go to the big track meet and I can't get out of the second heat. And that's when I started to realize, I go, I'm talented And I don't work hard enough. Maybe this isn't for me. That's, that's an interesting thought that you had for yourself at that age and at that time. Right. What, what'd you do? So what I did was I go, you know what? I'm going to do it as a hobby. So I had a, had a coach named David Lee Pong, who's a, uh, 
half Chinese, half Trinidadian. So you see a Chinese guy with a Trinidadian Jamaican accent, one of the fastest, smartest coaches that, that I've ever met. He said, Lynn, will you still come out, hang out, what do your thing? What a mix. I know. <laughs> what a mix. But he, to this day, he's still kind of a mentor to me, you know? And so I trained. I became 16, 17, 18, about, by the time I reached, uh, I would say 19, 18, 19, I was living in Vancouver, Canada. And uh, there was Expo 86, which was, um, I don't know if you guys have that. It's like a world fair. Yeah. I ended up getting lucky enough to meet the right click of dancers. And we ended up opening up for Rocksteady Crew. Some of those guys were all there at Expo 86. We started performing. I started making money and connections. And touring. And touring and dancing. You know, we're like, oh, this is cool. We do a little Canadian tour, do a little bit, you know, Seattle, Portland, all that stuff. And you're going, wow, I'm kind of getting a little bit of a career here. This is interesting. I go to college, go to Simon Fraser University, um, getting studying kinesiology, Things, things are going well. Vancouver, there's only, you know, being an African-American, there might be 20 guys in Vancouver yeah. that do that stuff, you know? So we've got guys that are dancers, actors, and you kind of become, I've been lucky enough to meet enough people to say, hey, Lynn was a guy, you need somebody that can choreograph X, Y, and Z? Uh, oh, yeah, do him. So I met a guy named, uh, is it Alan Olette, who was a local director. He did a lot of music videos and you in Canada, you have these grants that you can get um, called factor grants. So basically you can go, Hey, you know what? The ride podcast, you want to sit here and you go, um, I want, I want to have a TV show. So you write a little grant and they'll give to the arts and say, Hey, you know what? If it's a good enough idea, they'll go out and they'll fund it, fund it and do that. That's, so that's awesome. I started making, you know, relationships with Alan and I became, basically became his go-to guy for anything that happens in Vancouver, Edmonton, little commercials. So doing this, I ended up being able to direct a commercial for the brick warehouse, which is like a big furniture store, like Canada's Ikea, I guess you would say. Right. <laughs> and so, and it's all made in Canada. And it's and all made in be, Canada. Just to know. And so I got to direct one of those and then I got, you know, to get to do something for sports. Uh, what's it called? Uh, not, U.S., we have Sports Chalet. In Canada, we have uh, Sport Check. So I did a commercial for them, had some guys running, and they're like, hey, we want somebody to teach this person how to run and make it look like they know what they're doing. I'm still a young kid, and I'm like, you know, well, 20. Right. You're a kid. A kid. Got that opportunity, and Getting I Getting paid paper. You know, paper for a 20-year-old kid, you're like, you know, it's You don't nice. got that many bills. You no, don't got the uh, wife. You don't got the kids. You don't got a house. You don't got a car. You don't have a, you know. Exactly. You didn't have that. So, we now, I go back, I moved back to Edmonton, Canada to uh, see my dad, hang out with him for a bit. And we started talking. He's like, what do you want to do? Do you want to sit here and... You know, he's hardcore, kind of said, do you want to be a bum? Do you want to be, what are, you, what are you planning on doing with the rest of your life? Yeah, dancing's not not a real job or something. Not a real job. You're not going to be able to do anything with it. That's what I imagine yeah. he would say. I don't think he would be supportive of, of that. You know? No, he's a, but he was like, uh, I don't get it. I don't understand it. So one day I'm walking down the street in Edmonton, and I see this sign, this little poster on the, on the wall that says, Christian hip-hop group, DC Talk, in town performing tonight. 
Christian hip hop group. What's what's this about dancing? I'm like, huh. I have a little not not being sounding. I'm not trying to sound come off as cocky or anything like that. But you when you kind of get the accolades and people coming out and saying you can do this, you can do that. You're great. Why don't you try it? So I happened to go by the Jubilee Auditorium. I knew some security guys that that were there. I walked in. And I started talking to the manager of this of this band, and we we struck up a great conversation. And there's Toby, Michael, and Kevin, and we start chatting. And they they come out and go, "Hey, you know, I told them I'm a dancer. I kind of do this." Um, they said, "Hey, do you, would you be up to dancing, performing on a show tonight?" I'm like, "Sure." And I go, so how do, how do you want to, how do we want to do this? He goes, just come up with one of the songs, any, any couple of the songs and just come up and do Improvise? your thing. Mm-hmm. Improvise. Jesus. So I'm like, all right. I can do this. I've been training. I've been doing this. A, a big part of my time. life. A big part of my life. I go out and do it. First night. Love it. They're like, why don't you come finish the rest of our Canadian tour? Oof. Like that. I've been lucky enough to see opportunities and, and kind of take it, right? Well, again, and, and then we talked about this before the podcast, most of this is because you showed up, you, get, you got there. Right. This is where you then, after you did the tour, how you got to Tennessee, right? Exactly. So I do, the, do part of the Canadian tour, the last part of their tour, I think it was like seven, seven dates or something like that. Yeah. And this is 1990, 89, 90. Right. And they said, okay, well, hey, look, we're going back to Nashville. Um, let's, let's talk. We'll talk in a month. And now, you know, there's no cell phones or anything like that going on. I get a call uh, a month later. and They're like, all right, well, we're getting ready to go on tour. So uh, how about you move to Ma- Nashville? Come join us and move, move to Nashville. I'm like, all right. Did they pay for your move or was this something you had to save up and, and Man, do I, yourself? I was, I was 20 years old. Here's the flight. They gave you the flight. Here's the flight. Yep. Show up. Here's a job. Here's, here's a job. Come I ended to America. up, I ended up living with, uh, who did I stay with? I stayed with, uh, Ke- Kevin and then Michael, uh, Michael Tate for a while. And now this is, yeah, 1990. So I stayed with him for a few years. Did amazing. We traveled everywhere. Got to see everything that you can imagine. I had an opportunity to see. So now when I was a kid, I kind of told you, uh, I liked having that attention and feeling like I was part of something. But I was faking a lot of it because I was really insecure because I'm going, I don't know if they really think I'm that good or am I good enough? You know, when I... Because they didn't confirm it or... No. I mean, they bought you a ticket. They offered you the job, but, but something inside, it was just... Well, the, being part of it was the confirmation, right? That's what... Right. Yeah, being but, but part what of it. What made you think, what made you think, you know, that they, you, you, they weren't as satisfied as you thought they should have been satisfied? They, just to understand. They were satisfied. My, my problem was the internal hatred I had for myself from when my mom was becoming an alcoholic, more or less. Every day I came home, it was like, you're, I mean, you're have- stupid, you're an idiot, right. you're, you're never going to be anything. So those little things sit in your head, right? 
So when I'm on tour with these guys, I'm feeling everything. I, I'm confident. I feel like I can control anything and travel. So we went and traveled, did all these great shows. But where I felt lost was on the second tour. We're prepping for a world tour. We wanted to get some more dancers in. Now, I, I choreograph a lot. I was choreographing a fair amount of stuff. And I was always good at teaching somebody how to do something. I've never put the work in like all the other dancers that had to learn somebody else's choreography. Right. You were kind of spoiled and skillful. Spoiled and skillful is, is, is a perfect word. Yeah. So we're prepping for this world tour. They brought in... Um, Fatima Robinson. So she's an amazing choreographer. She used to, she did all the new kids on the block stuff. You name it. She, she did it. She came to teach us combinations to, to get ready for this tour. First weekend, not bad. I'm picking up everything. This is great. The beginning of the second week, we try to learn this new routine and I couldn't get it. And internally, I was freaking out. I'm going, I'm a fraud. They're going to find out I suck. And I, I don't know what to do. <sighs> Sorry about that. No, it's okay, no, man. Don't. It's, it's difficult. So what happens is, is I get so scared that, it's, uh, that I'm going to be a failure. So the guys are all joking around with me. We're doing this stuff. And they're like, oh, you can't get this. And I know they're just busting me. It was, it, was no, it was no big deal. But Which is very normal. The guys do all the time. This is the way I communicate with people constantly. I, I always tell them that I bully them, bully them into friendship. Right. You know, so oh, it's normal between friends. Yeah. yeah. And I'm used to that. But that, there was one little trigger that hit me that said, you're going to get busted because you're fake. Right. You're, you're not you, as good as everybody But else. you were not. You were really good. But I wasn't. Didn't put I was the work really in. good. Yeah. I didn't put the work in. Right. You, you had, you were vulnerable. There was a vulnerable spot that they were pushing on because right. you weren't practicing and you couldn't nail down what you were trying to do. Right. So when you come from more or less a freestyle um, dance background, where you can kind of go, hey, I, I know these moves that I, I can do and, and put them all together and it's not a problem. It's when you know other dancers who spent their lifetime going to classes all the time, jazz, ballet, all this. That wasn't my background. Right. There's some things that you, you, it, you can't teach certain people and there's certain things that are just people are natural at doing. And Ex you were a natural performer and dancer. Exactly. But you had this vulnerable spot that if you did have to learn a certain thing a certain way, you weren't disciplined enough right. to do the training and put the time in. And now this created a vulnerable spot that you were being exposed. And now you're fucking, I'm, you're, you're sweating. I'm, I'm sweating. You're tripping. It's, it's like a soldier who, who right. goes to fight somebody and they go, I see something's wrong with his right arm. Let's attack there. Right. It's done. So one day we're, 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 I'm trying to get this one simple eight count and I couldn't do it. And at the end of the day, the guys are going, oh, come on, man, you can get it. I go, you know what? I'm out. I quit. I can't do it. And they're like, nah, you're joking around. I'll see, see you in the morning. Right. 
But you I, were serious. I get back to the spot and I go, you know, I'm really out. I told the other dancers, I called my plane, called the plane up, grabbed and packed my stuff. And you headed out? And I left. That's fucking crazy. To where? To what? I went. I went ran back. away. In I sense. ran away. That's exactly what I did. I ran away and I went back to Canada. Went to, went back to Edmonton. Went to Mom's my, house? Dad's house? Uh, my uh, stepfather's house. Stepfather's yeah. house. And I put my dance shoes away, which is weird because I get home. This, this is the thing that, that, that really bothered me. I've never quit anything, you know, again after that moment. Right. But, but you were always so talented, you didn't need to. Exactly. But what hurt, what hurt me the most was I had everything. Everything that you could ever imagine was right there. So when I fly, why'd you move out? I mean, I understand why you quit, but it it was all a package and you had to just, it was like, he was was there for the job, right? Well, I was there. No, but right. But he had friends. I'm sure he had a girlfriend. He had, you know, you've been there how long now? Yeah. Um, a couple of years. You see? Yeah. And you, and you just left, you dropped all of it. it, Well, when I say a couple of years, it's when you do a tour, it's sort of like, Oh, we're here for six months and then we go, we leave again. And then we're here for four months and then we leave again and we go for three months. So that's why I say a couple of years. So every time that I had a break, I just went back to Canada. Got it. Because I didn't, you know, that was easy. But the thing that hurt the most was I got home the morning I got home, I was at my dad's house, went down to the basement and I put the music on and I had the move. You had I had, <laughs> I had the move. I, I talked myself out of the best experience of my entire life. But because I was egotistical, I was going to say that's ego. You're my talking ego all was ego. so wrapped up in who I was. I mean, I, kind of had to fake what i did because that's the only thing that made me happy i mean today's world it's fake it till you make it so you're doing the right thing right but now you know like this is this is no lie i get a call from michael and toby and those guys are like why why did you leave come back come back come back i was afraid and i i couldn't allow myself to do it to go back to go back because That's I was, all I, your I was, ego. I was ashamed. Were you ashamed or were you being stubborn? Like, I made this stupid decision I, and now I'm so pride, prideful. prideful. I'm going to fucking stick to it. Yeah. Because prideful I, is ego just but, as well. But we'll yeah, just prideful. use the word prideful. Prideful, but also, I, the reason why I say shame, because now all my friends well, that I knew. Well, if you go back, it'd be shameful. Yeah, and by I guess, being prideful, you don't need to do the walk of shame right exactly you really let go something you loved yeah that uh, that guys don't let your ego get to you no that shit please you got you gotta drop it so now the thing that's weird is i get back to canada i'm used to having you know a a, a lifestyle you know if you're just kind of going out you don't have to work hard you just hey i work two hours a day you know i might rehearse for an hour go to a show travel to the next spot so now I'm back in Canada and I have nothing. Zero. I have friends going, dude, hey, I saw you on whatever. And, and you know, uh, what's going on with you? Nothing. So now I, I meet a girl named Carmen who 
we end up having a child together, which is my 27 year old now. And she knew I was on tour. I was new, new, you know, cause we, we kept in touch kind of every time we was in town, we hung out and whatever, you know? And then we became uh, a couple when I, when I moved, finally moved back to Canada, but I had no direction. I didn't know what to do. Little, the jobs that did come up were silly things. I had guys that call me up from Chippendales and go, Hey, can you choreograph the, um, some routine stuff for us? <laughs> oh, fuck. How much is it? All right. Yeah. I'll do it. Oh, you know, it's $200, $300, whatever. Uh, yeah, I'll do it. And there was a point where I had zero money. Cause I was, I spent it all on shoes and jackets and whatever that I had to take a job at like banana Republic because, and that was horrible for me. Yeah. That was a big step backwards in, big, in, in your, in your life and your success at, at to that point. Yeah. You're going backwards. And it, and it was, and now you're easy. older and I'm older, you know, I'm like 20, I had my son at 22. So now I'm going, I'm 22. His mom's 30. She's got a, she's got a career. I'm sitting here going, you're a loser. What does he do? Um, so she was a dental assistant, but she, you know, at, at one point in time, she was a dental assistant. In Canada, there's, there's, when you're a model in Canada, like you can't, you don't really, you're not working all the time. So she was a model, but she was also a, you know, a dental assistant. Mm -hmm. You know, right. so, so she was busy. She, she she was heading places. She was busy. She was heading places. Oh, doors were opening. Opportunities were coming. Opportunities were everywhere. And I felt like you're the biggest loser. What are you going to do? You just had a, had a kid. You're, you're 22 and you don't know what you're going to do. So now all I know is, Hey, look at, I used to be a runner. I can get anybody fast. I had a background in kinesiology. I start meeting more people. I go, okay, well, David, David Lee Pong hooked me up with some guys that were over at uh, the Edmonton Eskimos, which is a, the football Canadian football league. So I worked with a couple of those guys on some speed development stuff. And that's kind of how I, I made a little bit of money. Then there's a, there's a guy named um, Thomas Alexander. He was a soul singer. He's from Chicago, lived in Edmonton. His wife was from Edmonton. He was going on tour in Tokyo and we started meeting and he's like, Hey, do you think you can choreograph something for me? You know, I want some dancers. I want some soul guys. And, you know, um, we have some females that want to go on this tour or whatever. I work with them. We became very good friends and he gave me a great opportunity. He goes, he goes to Japan. He's there for six or seven months. I'm still in Edmonton stuck. And this is now my son is two. And time flies, huh? When you have children, you see them grow. And oh, yeah. Just, like, like we can look at each other for the next five years. We'll see one or two more gray hairs. You have a child, and now they're talking to you and communicating. But continue. Yeah. He's two years old. You're, he's, he's, he's walking. He's, he's two years old, walking. His name's Tiz. He's an amazing kid. And I'm still in a spot where I'm like, I'm not working much at all. Thomas comes back. You know, and my son, like I said, my son's two. Thomas comes back in town. And he goes, hey, Linwood, um, I'm about to start this musical in Calgary. It's called Mo Magic. It's a Motown review thing. They're looking for somebody who's talented like you, who can sing, who can dance. And dude, you should come audition. 
I put in a word for you. You should do that. So I talked to Carmen, which is, you know, my son's mother. And I said, do you think I should go do this? She said, you know what? That's the only thing that makes you happy. So because everything else you've been doing hasn't. Yeah. So she says, go try. I go out there. They're like, okay, hey, Linwood. There's the next day. I go out there. The guy goes, um, sing something. So I sing a Marvin Gaye song. And is this the first time you've sang for, for somebody? Like- first, first time I sang a lot. So when I was, when I was really young, my, my uh, grandfather had a, um, a bar and club in Detroit. And I used to go hang out there, sing Michael Jackson songs and all this when I was right, right, right. younger. And, and, you know, it was easy. It was good. It was something that I used to do. And it was, I've always and been. You got called on the stage and yeah. performed and the little skits and stuff. So I wasn't afraid of that. It was, it was being, always being an entertainer kind of right. thing. Right. So Thomas calls me up and he said, why don't you go do this? I go to the audition, I sing a song. And the first thing I tell the director is, hey, um, I'm not really a singer, but um, uh, here's a song I'll do. I sang a song. Marvin Gaye. Marvin Gaye. And he t- he, everybody leaves the room. I'm sitting in the hallway for a little bit. And he comes back in and he looks at me and he goes, Here's the thing. I don't want you to ever say you can't do something and you're not this and you're not something. And he goes, if you want the job, it's yours. So I got this job from O Magic. We'd spent uh, four months in Calgary, six months in Toronto, uh, another six months in Vancouver. And uh, that's kind of how my life went. But what's interesting, I missed the spot, when I got the gig, I call up Carmen. I said, hey, I got the gig. It's amazing. We start rehearsals Monday. She tells me, that's good. But you're going to have to do it by yourself. So we broke up. Which She ended it. She ended it. Why do you think that is? Did she ever tell you the why? Oh, I was the why. Most definitely. Because she can see that my desire to be elsewhere was stronger than being at home. I mean, I, I get that, but there's 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 so many men that want to be somewhere else, and the woman's holding them down like no motherfucker. You know? Yeah, but especially that, but, once they get the career or they get you know they stuck around that long, and they're like, oh, okay, you you made it. All right, now it's my time. But here's the thing. The thing that this is straight honesty, and I didn't see it until like I got older, is she needed somebody that could be there for her to- Emotionally. Emotionally. Physically. Physically. And, and she knew I couldn't, I, I wasn't that. And, she, you know, she loved me. We we're, were great friends, but she did it because she, she knew both of us needed something different. Right. And that being, I was 22. She's and 30. You guys got, yeah. And she's 30. Well, at this point where you, were you, your kid, your, your child was two, was, uh, two was, years old. It was two years old. And you had him at 20, so 24? Uh, yeah, so 20, yeah, 24. 23, 24 yeah. around there? Yeah. So. Yeah, and she was older. She had she more older. experience and she, knew, and she knows what she wants. Yeah, and she was married before and all this. So right. it's sort of like, hey, look it. I mean, it was hard and i said and, and she knew how hard it was when i quit 
She thought it was the weirdest thing ever. So I did I did Mo Magic, did all that. And then for how long do you do that? Uh I guess it was like a year and a half. Mm-hmm. You know, and that was all in Canada? Yeah, yeah. So Vancouver, Toronto. I think we did Vancouver, Toronto, um Calgary. So after that, I was sitting here saying, okay, well, now I really have no place to go. What should I do next? So I thought, well, I can either move to New York or I can move to Los Angeles. And I said, well, I'm tired of the cold. I moved to Los Angeles. Had you been to California before? I've been, I've been to California. I went, I, I went to UCLA also, you know, and studied a bit. You're up been all over. <laughs> I've been, been around. Mr. Worldwide. You know, so that's so one of the things like you go, oh, L.A., this is, you know, yeah, this is kind of where you need to be. So you came out here, came out here, any contacts or any anybody, you know, at the time. So how the story went is, is we finished the last bit of our show that was in Toronto. I ended up buying a car. I drove to Vancouver because another friend of mine uh, had two girls that I knew that were amazing dancers. And we kept in touch and they said they were planning on moving to L.A., I said, hey, I'm moving to Los Angeles. Why don't, you know, why don't we all get a spot in L.A.? So we did a road trip and drove from, uh, Van- sorry, from Toronto, Vancouver, Vancouver to Los Angeles. I had a roommate with two other dancers. But one thing I said to myself was I knew that I didn't want to be a dancer anymore. You know what I mean? I didn't mind going out and doing musicals and doing this other stuff, but I didn't want to dance because I knew Los Angeles, hey, I can be a big, big fish in Canada. I knew, I knew my wheelhouse. Right. So I get to LA. It's been about six months. I meet this girl who lives in the building and she's an actress. And we started talking and I start, you know, running and doing this stuff. And we start talking about, you know, being an athlete and in my background and all that. She goes, I have a friend of mine that's working on a movie and he's, he, need somebody to train them to teach them how to run it was for the um what was the name of that uh prefontaine movie there did two of them at the what, same what, time. what year are we talking about this was now uh 95 okay 1995 96 somewhere, somewhere around there um so anyway he's like i i have a guy who he needs to learn how to run for this film do you think you can help him out so one thing i i have always said is like well yeah of course i can do it have you worked with the celebrities and all this of course i did i never worked with any celebrity at the time but i knew i can get this guy to do what he needs to do but you did work with the football team and yeah, stuff football teams, but they're talking about they, at the time they were like oh have you worked with actors because they were you know yeah. paramount pictures and all these other studios were like well right. we need somebody who's worked with experienced yeah. exactly they're not going to flip out when they see an artist or whatever the case is exactly so anyway this guy Link me up. We did the gig. I made some money. It was awesome. Then this girl says, hey, you know what? My friend runs Paramount Pictures training facility. You should go meet the guys over there. I'm like, all right. Sounds meet, good to me. Meet the guys there. And I started working with their talent. I did that from 90, 96, 95, 96 through 90. 98 99 so by that time i ended up meeting everybody in the industry you know actors producers 
all of this. I mentioned to them, you know, some of these guys, one of my mentors, his name was Paul Hager. He was the uh, president of post-production for uh, Paramount Pictures. He was kind of my mentor. And I showed him a couple music videos that I directed and commercials that I directed. And he's like, hey, Linwood, uh, if you, you want to be a good director, uh, what you need to do is learn editing. So you're going to quit tomorrow and I'm going to get you a job as an apprentice editor. And you, that's what you're going to do. <laughs> nice. He got me into the, the first, he had me the first month or two I worked in film shipping. Then I worked on a couple movies. So the first movie I ended up working on was uh, down to earth with Chris rock. So right. the whites brothers who did American pie and all those yeah. guys, they used to come to the gym all the time. We talked and this and that I ended up working on their movie. And that's when a new chapter in my life kind of came together. So I got into post-production for, for a few years, kind of dug that. And then I realized, you know what? I, I, I miss being active and seeing people all the time. So I, I decided to call a few, few people that I knew, Tony Shalhoub and a couple other actors, and I started training these guys again. So uh, I worked with Tom Church on a couple movies. I worked with a couple boxers, and I was a strength and conditioning coach. Now, some of my friends that that were track athletes and mentors today um, still work with Olympic athletes. Because of my background, I get to work with some bobsledders and uh, sprinters, anything that had to do with sprinting. What a and wild spread. That's amazing. That's a great yeah. opportunity. And that's how you look the way you look at 50. And, th and that's it. So... When I look, and you love what you're doing. I love what I'm doing. But the thing that's interesting is that just like with photography, your foreground can be your background depending on where you focus. Right. Everything that I've did led me back to where I am today. So learning movement from dance, learning power and how things, things function helped me with photography. So the thing I didn't mention is that throughout my whole journey, I always had like a little point and shoot somewhere. And, you know, I got to talk to DPs and, and kind of learn the trade. And one of my best friends out here, his name is Bazil. He's a big fat, he's a fashion photographer, worked on a bunch of stuff. And he showed me. Bazil? Bazil. Bazil. Yeah. He's like one of my best friends. And he was like, I've always hang, hung out with him. He said, like, Lord, you got to learn to do this. You know, take your camera, do X, Y, Z. And I, I show some stuff. And he loved it. And he kind of made me pick up the camera and say, why don't you take this thing um, a little more serious? Why don't you do it? So you know how as I, I mentioned earlier that, that time is very important and things are, I'm really focused on time. Right. So, there's a point where, remember, I mentioned that I was selfish and trying to, you know, keep everything close to my chest. And it was all me, 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 me. In 1997, my dad, we used to go on this fishing and camping trip every year. My entire life will just go somewhere every year, just me and my brothers. So in 97, 97, 98, I think it was 97, my dad calls me up and he's like, hey, don't forget next weekend is our, our big trip, you know, 
won't you uh did you buy your ticket yet and i'm like oh no no son you know something come came up can you switch it to the following weekend and my dad being who he is he's like no i'm not gonna do it I will just just come still come up to canada the following week and see us all but we're doing this camping trip this weekend right so at the time my brother one of my brothers was 25 and my dad was remarried a couple times and he had another son and he was 13. So it was my dad, my two brothers and one of their friends, they go on this camping trip and they're having a great time. And you know, my, my brother's old enough to drink him and his friends were drinking. My dad falls asleep at, in the, in the, um, at the campsite, probably about 11, 12 o'clock at night, whatever, whatever it was. And for whatever reason, at three o'clock in the morning, the RCMP comes up and shines a light into the tent. And he says, uh, do, you, do you drive a, a gray forerunner? And he said, yeah. Your father? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Both my brothers, for some stupid reason, decided to hop in the car and flip the car. Drunk drunk and everybody died and for the longest time i said to myself that if i was there this week that weekend i would have said you guys aren't going anywhere i know that deep in my heart that's what I, that's what would happen but because i was so focused on what linwood wanted i um that that's not your fault. You can't. That's not, but no, that's, that's not. That's, but I mean, that, you but, 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 but at that time, that's what yeah. I thought. No, and, and and people think that, but that's not your fault. That that's something that completely out of control. Shoot, if you would have gone, you might have been in the car with them, or, or you could have been with your father sleeping, and you wouldn't have found out until that moment. That's true. But here's the thing. You know when I, when and I I'm sorry about it. Yeah, it's, happens I, I get emotional sometimes oh no i'm stuff. sorry that you, no it's cool you it's cool i was i was gonna place over it but i'm like the thing that me growing up with my mom drinking so much and people smoking my dad loved to smoke blunts i stayed away from it i was like nah because i saw what it did to my mom and we had this weird relationship where because of how i was treated i kind of backed away from my mom when my dad called me at whatever three or four in the morning at my time, I had to call my mom. He's like, I'm not talking to your mom. I don't care what goes on. I had to call my mom and tell her what happened. It was that bad. He could, he, he didn't want to speak to her because they, they weren't talking. They hated each other. When I say hated, I mean hated each other. Wow. I can't imagine a hate like that. And because I'm so cerebral, you know, I videotaped myself calling my mom to tell her what happened because I needed to feel something. Every once in a while, I watch the video because it, it, it's a piece that makes me feel alive. It sounds morbid, it sounds weird, but that's the only thing that kind of said, you know what, don't be selfish. 
If you say you're going to be somewhere, be somewhere. If you say you're going to be on time, be on time. If you don't want to do something, say you don't want to do it. So I tell my mom, it was the hardest thing I've ever had to do in my entire life. Fast forward 99, now it's now two years later after my brothers pass away, my mom and I talk maybe once every three months or whatever. I'm getting my hair cut. Oh, sorry, let me leave back it up. Two years later, my birthday comes up, September 2nd. I get a letter, I open up the letter. My mom gave me the most amazing letter basically saying, I'm sorry for everything that I've ever, ever done. Let's get closer. I apologize. I'm sorry. I'm still in my head. I'll go, you know what, I'll, I'll get back to her. Three weeks later, I'm getting my hair cut and I get a call from my aunt that my mom committed suicide. And I say to myself, I haven't learned a damn thing. It was still me, me, me. Somebody reached out to you to say, I apologize, I'm sorry, and I'm too into myself to say I'll get to her next time. I'll call her next month. How long, how long before do you not talk to her for? Or do you have a so my, relationship with so, um, Like I said, after my, my brothers died, I talked to her every three months or so. But before? Before, before all that, we, it was really, hey, I'm, hey, you know what? I'm in Toronto or I'm in Vancouver. Come see a show. Whenever you were in town. Whenever I was in town. It wasn't, hey, you know, I get email. Like so, a, so it was, it was, it was yeah. we were estranged. So, you know, we, we, we didn't talk much because i was still resentful i mean on this podcast i left stuff out but you know i used to get beatings for no reason beatings for being late i didn't get it i didn't understand so that was part of my let me get out of here phase if i can run if i can dance if I, anything i can do to get out of here i'm doing it so that's my backstory as to who you are who i am and how'd you get here can i be trust can i trust this person do am i on am i fake am i real am i you know but now i realized every single thing that i experienced in my life has really made me a better person now after i connect all the dots like when I say I'm going to call somebody, I'm calling somebody. Right. So now. <laughs> You're committing. I'm, I'm committed. If you lost too many people for, for not committing. Yeah. You know, that's why when my kids live next door, I can see my kids every single day. You know, they come jump on a trampoline and they're like, hey, dad, can we come over? I'm like, dude, why are you asking? Open the door. Come on in. I feel like you accused yourself in, the, in this story a couple of times of selfies. And or in you know into your your what you wanted or what you needed or whatever. Right. And and the beginning of this of this episode, the, your lifestyle right now doesn't reflect that at all. You know, you go through hell. I mean, and yeah. and and it's not hell, but it, you go through complications of living 
with your basically with your ex-wife and your current right. par- par- just right. so your kids have a better life so yeah. that doesn't you know yeah but that's that's not hell i mean he, he made it work you yeah know, i know but found, I mean, there's you, definitely more complications you it, could have said yes fuck it and and i'll and i'll do whatever i right, want but, more convenient for but, me or whatever. but that's the lesson that i learned because yeah. of all the tragic bs that went on that said okay i'm not going to get married three or four times i'm not going to have my like my oldest son yes he lived he lived in canada he came we made that relationship work back and forth every two or three months we talked all the time he was either in la or i go to canada or whatever so he spent summers that relationship i needed to keep and 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 be strong to this day you know he's now 27 i'm a grandfather now he's him and his wife he is an amazing father and i hope that part of that was for what what i taught him it's it's the lessons that you learn from from years ago that that make you who you become now. So now I'm really focused. So so I work for a company out of out of uh, Phoenix, Arizona called Altus, and I do a lot of photography for all the Olympic athletes and stuff that they train. So I deal with their social media and all that, and those are relationships from friends. You know, my one of my best friends, Stu McMillan, who is one of the most talented strength coaches coaches and track and field coaches in the world. He's been, you know, he's coached over 100 Olympic athletes, you know. That's huge. So, yeah. No, your, your journey, I mean, you, you've dealt with a lot of grief, but your, your journey still continues. Still continues. And it's opened up doorways. You've done... You've done many more things. What other movies have you done that you've done voiceovers? You've so, done acting. Let's let's yeah, dive into so, that. So now let's, we dive into the acting. Yeah, because so, you know you, you're you're human. My you know? uh, my ex wife is a, a vice president of uh, post production for Disney feature animation. Um, I have a lady named Terry Douglas who owns a, a company called Loop Troop. So over some, from 2006 through 2020. I've been doing looping and stuff like that for animated features. So I've done Big Hero 6, Moana, both Frozen, Zootopia, um, Step Up 2, what else? Solo, Star Wars. That's exciting. That's cool. So yeah, I've probably done 20 films. That's amazing. And what do you do, voiceovers there? A lot of voiceover stuff. So looping, what happens is, is you do you know much about looping? No, no. No. So say you're watching... Um, Chicago Fire, uh-huh. and you see the two main actors here, and they walk inside the fire station. But you see other people that are there, and they're talking and they're having these conversations. Well, they bring loopers in to do those voices for that. So it's like, uh, yeah. we've got a ten fourteen coming in through da da da, da or well, Doctor So and So, please come to emergency, please. You know, so I do a lot of that stuff for these films. That's awesome. That's cool. So. That's very That's cool. Kind Did of you my, have to do any training to do it or it was just natural? Well, because, you know, being an entertainer, you kind of have to learn to improv a bit. And now I'm okay. Let me tell you something. I'm okay. But the, some of the people that I work with do this five, six, seven times days a week and they're on everything and they're so talented in it. I get to learn from them because they're really on it i mean if it's like metal, fast pace yeah they're on if, top of it if it's medical jargon what you usually they'll say hey linwood we're doing this show and it's pertaining to x y and z so you look up you know medical jargon 
or police dialogue or whatever. And you're like, okay, learning these. All right, what words? Okay, so-and-so's coming to this shop. All right, here we go. Ba-da-da-da. We need this, this, and this. So that's kind of what I do as my side passion project, which I love. So I probably do a couple films a year, which is that's yeah, that's a dream. Which, yeah, which, is, which is great. You know, yeah, so sure. every once in a while you go to your mailbox, you're like, oh, residual check. Oh, I forgot I did this. I was just mm-hmm. going to ask, is, is it usually usually residuals or is it yeah. sometimes flat? Or? So, no, what, what happens is, is they, they pay you whatever your day rate is. Right. And then after the film comes out or the TV show comes out, you, there's residuals for wherever, whatever, if it plays on a plane, or if it's on Netflix, if it's, you know, um, DVDs. So Right, so iTunes. And you've whatever. done yeah. basically every... Of the late Disney movies. So I would say would, 90% was, of them. So you're nothing. set for the next 40 years. <laughs> I don't know about that. <laughs> but but uh, it's it's been such a blessing, you know. It's just uh, having those opportunities. What part did you do on Frozen? Um, wow. The first Frozen, I think it was um, some of the guards that come in when Sven is being kicked out of the, uh, or, or break, escaping the prison, just lots of grunts and running and things yeah. like that. You know, so you're kind so of like all, all over. So like all kind of sound effects and yeah, it's so not necessarily just voice. I mean, you, everything you do with your voice. running, yeah. Right. So what happens is, is you're basically, anything that's in the film that isn't the main characters, the loopers do. That's amazing. I never thought about that. So... That's yeah. it. So they, they anytime fulfill. you're watching TV and you're, you, you see something and you're going. And you hear a voice that you don't see who's yeah, saying. You're like, whatever. Or you see, because they'll, they'll show somebody just moving their mouths and like, what does that look like he's saying? It's, oh, it looks like he's saying, uh, yeah, uh, I've got that. Come over here. So that's just, a lot of the stuff that I end up doing, which is, which is fun. And they're called loopers. Loop- loopers, yeah. Loopers. That's yeah, right. or, or they'll say additional voices. Yeah, know, yeah. Which means you're anywhere in the movie. You know, well, so let me know if they're in the Spanish. <laughs> you, yeah. what is, what's interesting is that a lot of these actors that are, that do looping, they'll say, uh, you know, oh, I need somebody who speaks English and Japanese and Spanish and whatever. You speak you a know? lot of languages? I don't. That's why sometimes it's like, she'll call me up and say, Linwood, can you do, I can do this accent, but I can't, you know, I don't speak Spanish or whatever. You know, so anyway, yeah, that's kind of. That's right. They're always going to need a way for failure. Yeah. So now we, you know, you know, we're talking about connections and all that. So the group I used to be with DC Talk, they they're now solo soloists. So Toby Mac is still around doing. He's huge. Michael Tate is in a band called the Newsboys. Kevin Smith is is a soloist, and we are still friends to this day. And it probably it it was a few years. Like anytime they were in town, we talk kind of. Do the thing, but the, it's probably been the last four years that we've been closer. So, I, you know, they're in town. I shoot them there. If there's, you know, Toby gave me the opportunity a year ago to to shoot one of his shows, and that's kind of the music aspect of what I do. Yeah, that's right. What what's what's the uh, what's the future looking like for Linwood? Where 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 what are the goals? Where are you at in five years, oh. ten years from now? Oh, where am I in five, ten years from now? Yeah, what, 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 what are you planning to do and accomplish? I think the ultimate goal for me is is to be able to shoot more Nike stuff, some dance. I want to have a dance project that I want to want to do, and shoot some some choreographers and things like that in their element, and try to try to bring what they do and see dancers in places you're not supposed to see dancers. Right. You know. Um, yeah. 
So when when do you start writing out of all in on what part of all this story do you start writing and introducing motorcycles into your life? So I got my first motorcycle when I was 19. It was a GSXR. Terrible. I had it for about six months and one thousand? Yes. Yeah. For the first bike. Nice. I, that's, that's, never, I'm like, uh eh. and because I said six months, it's like you're in Canada. So you ride and it's winter. You don't. And then you don't. So I realized that, you know, I'm, I'm never going to ride as much as I need to because I'm always in and out of town. So I mm. sold that. And then when I moved to Los Angeles, I, um, I had a little tiny, tiny, I think it was like a 500. I can't remember what it was just to get me back and forth in town. And then I bought a Suzuki 800. It was uh, the fake Harley looking one. Yeah. Right. Boulevard. Uh Boulevard, yes, yes, mm -hmm. exactly. I had that for about everything that looks chrome is plastic. Exactly, that's yeah. exactly what I had. And then I had that for probably five or six years. Then two thousand nine is when, or two thousand eight is when I bought the um, the V Rod. Mm -hmm. yeah. And of course, at the at the time, it was like black and orange. And two thousand eight, so that that was okay. That's yeah, the Night Rod Special. Yes, the Night Rod Special, and it was black and orange, and I didn't like that, and. I threw another friend, hooked me up with Scratch, and I said, I want to do this, and can you paint it this way? He's like, here, I'll add some stuff to it. It's great. Then I was rolling sands. I was kind of geeking out on some of his wheels and all that, so I totally kitted it out and rode it forever. And then 2018, I went and bought the uh, bagger and taking photos of people riding motorcycles, some guys that I met and meeting you guys, which... Mm -hmm was amazing i think if i'm if i'm correct we met on one of the uh stronghold rides i think oh maybe maybe i was there i, th I don't think i was riding that day i think i just went there uh to take pictures mm. for some reason i think we were just going to breakfast my with cassidy my wife and, and my and jack um and i think i just passed by and i always carry my camera usually yeah yeah. And then one, and then I think it was a year and a half ago. Two, I think it's probably been a year and a half, maybe two mm -hmm. years that I started riding. Two years ago when I did my first ride with you guys, but I happened to go over to Butterscotch, and I was buying some stuff, and then I see this long-haired kind of cool Colin. hipster kind of dude, and I'm like, "Oh, this guy has an amazing look." And we started talking for a second, and I remember him buying some white gloves. leather gloves, and then about a week or so later. My girlfriend and I are up at Angeles Crest and I saw your whole crew and then I saw the gloves. I'm like, hey, weren't you just at Stronghold or whatever? And he's like, yeah. And then I met all you guys and I think I took some Who photos. was wearing the gloves? You were wearing the gloves? No, no Colin. 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 I was Colin say, was. Sounds, white gloves sounds like Colin. I don't even wear gloves. Shout out to Colin. <laughs> so I took some photos with you guys and then you guys were riding and then there was, I think there was a, were you with us at the time? There was like some big some big accident or something. Yeah, with a helicopter. The big helicopter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. Huge that helicopter. And we're all watching because they stopped us and I took a couple photos of you mm -hmm. guys and kept on and we kept in touch and I probably have done half a dozen rides or something with you guys. And then I showed up at your house. Yes. <laughs> Which I've got to say was... Wait, one, wait, his house or the ex-wife's house? Uh, my house. I didn't, I didn't ask questions. Whose house is who? This is one of the kindest brothers I've ever met in my life. Too man. kind. I, I got online and I, yeah, I saw that you guys did the mask. Right. And I'm like, oh, dude, I need this mask. Boom, 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 boom. Next thing he knows, I, oh, then what's in me? I just, 
I'm like, okay. I know. I, I think I texted you saying, are you home? Yeah, are you, yeah, are you home? Yeah, because I had in the order. I yeah, had yeah, the, the order. Address, That's yeah. right. You didn't have the address. Yeah, he delivered. And I'm like, the hell? Yeah, I'm home. And I walk outside and he's there. And I'm going, I know this guy lives in Culver City. I'm in Burbank. I'm like, that is a brother who has got the kindest heart. And there's not many people that go out and do stuff like that. I have this thing that um, the first day that we release a product, every order that we get that, that day, I deliver everything around the city. Did you hear that? Miami, New York, no, Texas, fuck that. <laughs> yeah. Brazil. Brazil. Exactly. I mean, if it's Brazil, maybe I have to. Yeah, yeah or, or South America. No, that they, they, he's done that with all his products, and it's 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 created so much value. And I guess that's why, on top of that, it's a cool product. You know, he creates bigger value to it. That I wish more companies would do the same. Yeah, I mean that's I mean that's how you get true uh, customer service. And, and true people that, that really love your product and that will continue well, buying that, stuff. But how much does he love his product that he wants to deliver it and show it to oh, people? Oh, exactly. That's, hey. that's, that's even more impressive. Yeah, very, very. I mean, plus everything we're discussing and talking about, but that's, that's outstanding. Yeah. It's, uh, what, what got you into writing originally? Just, just quick on that, because I, 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 I don't think I got that. You know, it, when, like I was, when any, I was any any influence growing up, you know dirt what the, bikes. Here's the influence. It's like I used to go to all those you know supercross shows and all that. But I had Evil Knievel was like my hero. I was like I've always wanted to. I'm like I loved Evil Knievel. He's like I used to go to his shows and in Canada they had these uh, drag races shows. You know where they, they race cars and stuff like that. Right. And Evil would come out and jump vans and all this stuff. And I'm going, that is cool. I would love to ride a motorcycle. And I've always wanted one. And all my friends. You know, they lived on farms and all this stuff like that, and they used to have dirt bikes. And it's just something I've always wanted. And I said, when I can afford it, I'm going to buy what I want. And and that's that's. I, that's I have kinda, a question for you because yes. uh, recently I had a discussion with my three-year-old about this. Um, so I'm guessing you've seen the movie Toy Story 4. Yes. Right? Uh, so there's this guy, there's this character that is uh, Yesai Canada, which is boom, something kaboom or something yeah, like yeah, that, okay. right? Is this guy based on... Evil Cannibal, just in Canadian version, or there's actually an Evil Cannibal Canadian that this character no, is based on. That I don't. That I don't know. But the real Evil Cannibal was, yeah, wasn't a Canadian one. No, right. No, right. no yeah. I know. I know that. But yeah. my kid is like, no, no, no. That, that's not Duke Kaboom because Duke Kaboom is Canadian. And I'm like, no, bro. I'm just based on this guy. Is just dressed right. as a Canadian. <laughs> and I didn't know, but being you being Canadian, probably knew. No, I don't know anything like that. I'm not sure about that one. Yeah. No, we'll have to do more research than guess. Yeah. Uh, Linwood, is yes. there um, is there one last thing you want to tell the listeners of everything that's happened in your life experience? What would be your message and advice to, to people out there, younger people and to people your age and older? I think that life has a lot of opportunities and you've got to not be afraid to sit here and take them. Now, I, I don't mean lie to get into it or anything like that, but once the opportunity is there, do whatever you can. Be absolutely honest. If you're saying, hey, you know what? I'm not sure if I could do X, Y, and Z because my background is, X, is something different, but you need to go out there and say, look it, give me the shot. I'm going to do everything I can to give you the vision that you want. And I think that most people that, that hear that will accept it instead of being hustled. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, and you can't come in with arrogance. You got to come in humble. 
and willing to learn. If you don't know something, ask somebody. Build a community of people that can help you out. Like I know I'm not a big Photoshop guy, but I know somebody, if I'm stuck, I can go, hey, can you help me out with this? It's all about building your network. So find your network, be honest, be on time, be the hardest worker, be, if you're like, one of my favorite sayings is like, if you're the smartest person in a room, find another room to be in. That's a good one. That's a good one. And I like what you said also, um, ask, ask, ask for help, ask for questions. I went to Pepperdine and, and that was one of the first things I learned on the first weekend. People want to help people, but if you don't ask for that help, you're not getting help. Right. Anyways. Linwood, thank you so much. Preach having you on. Fist bump. We'll get you on again. Another fist bump. Uh, And until next time. Thank you, brother. Thank you so much, man. Appreciate it. And that's it for this episode. Thank you so very much for listening. If you liked it, please make sure to subscribe on Apple, Spotify, YouTube, on everywhere, wherever you're listening to this, there's a subscribe button. Please click on it. It helps the podcast. It helps the guest. It helps all of us. And make sure to follow us on Instagram at RideBoundless to see amazing pictures and contents and videos of the people we are speaking to. Until then, see you next week. Ride safe, ride hard, ride boundless.